Be seated if you would, please. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If you would take your Bibles and be opening with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 22 through 25 this morning as we continue our walk with God. So we continue walking through this gospel that, that teaches us what it looks like to walk with the one who made us, the one who saves us, the one who redeems us and restores us and ultimately transforms us. And so Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And verse 24 says, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that He commands even winds and water, and they obey Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we get uh, ready to hear from You this morning, that You would speak to us, and God, that You would give us the strength we need to hear from You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this first section of the Scripture we're going to look at this morning, uh, in verses 22 uh, and 23, it's, it begins as a, a fairly boring account, right? I mean, if you just read verse 22, you would think, why is this in here? One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. A normal day. Hey guys, let's take a, a boat ride. We just want to go to the other side of the lake here. Not a big deal. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. In fact, it's such a long and boring day that Jesus decides to take a nap. Don't you love it when you're driving and somebody else decides to sleep and not stay up and talk to you? But anyway, he, so he's taking a nap as they're going across the lake. But then, just like with us, when we're walking with Jesus, things begin to change pretty drastically. It says in the middle of this trip, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And so, in the middle of their trip to the other side of the lake, they are about to die. They look around, the storm's coming, and water's coming over into the, into the boat with them. And so as the waves are crashing over into the boat, they're beginning to sink. They're, they're thinking, hey, this is it. We're doomed. And so you come to verse 24, and it says, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Which is really interesting, guys. That, this is the second time we see professional fishermen going to a carpenter for help in their fishing adventures. That When Jesus first meets these guys, he goes and he tells them, Hey, you guys have been fishing all night. You didn't catch anything. Throw your net to the other side. And then they catch all these fish. Here they are. They've been traveling the, this lake their whole life fishing. And they're about to die. And who do they turn to? Well, they turn to the man who uh, builds, uh, works with wood and things like that for a living. Because they understand that at this point, their expertise is going to do them no good. Their understanding of how the, the water works and the lake works and boats work is going to do them no good. They need someone greater. They need some uh, more strength than that. And so in the middle part of verse 24, it says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. 
Here we see the, the authority of Christ. We see the power of our Lord. He wakes up and he looks at the winds and the waves and he's like, why are y'all being so loud? Be quiet. And they're quiet. It says that he rebuked the proud sea, the raging sea that's trying to, to come against them. He says, hey, y'all quiet it down. And the wind and the waves stop. They lay down and they're quiet. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, Where, where's y'all's faith at? Where's your faith? And their response is one of fearfulness. And the question that they ask is the question that we need to answer this morning. Who then is this that he even commands the winds and the waves and they obey him? Who is this who has power over the storm that, that should have killed us? Who is this that is able to do whatever he wants to do simply by the power of his word? You see, this morning, guys, we need to answer the question of who we turn to when all hope is lost. We need to answer the question of who we turn to when we are fearful and afraid. And the answer is Jesus. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're struggling with, He is the one who has the ability, who has the strength to pull us through, to get us through the challenges that, that we face in life. And it doesn't, Luke is not trying to inform us here that if we're going through a hard time in life that we simply need to tell Jesus and He'll fix everything. Because that's not the case, is it? Very often, he does not fix everything. Very often, what he does is he gives us the strength to make it through. Very often, instead of fixing everything, he simply gives us the ability to face whatever challenge it is that we're facing. And, and so, but we see his power here. We see that he has the power to do whatever he needs to do to help us get through whatever we are facing. He is the one who has the power to transform not only our circumstances, but us. And that's really where I want us to focus this morning. I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus has the power to transform us. Look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met, him, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he, lived, he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. There's a couple of things about this guy where we see just how bad of a situation he's in that Luke reveals to us. First off, he's a man who has demons. Like if one of the characteristics of your life is you're known as someone who has demons, that's a bad life, right? I mean, you're struggling. In fact, it says later on that he has many demons. He's a man who is being controlled by evil spirits. Guys, I don't understand everything there is to know about evil spirits. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about demons. We know that they exist. We know that their purpose, their goal in life is to destroy life, to destroy God's creation. We know that. But when it comes to fighting demons, we're not really told, hey, do this, this, and this. You know what we're told? Jesus is more powerful, so they're not your problem. You go to Him. And so this man, but he's, he's controlled by demons. Also, he's naked. That's a problem, right? How many of you have that recurring nightmare of standing up on stage in front of a bunch of people say on a Sunday morning naked? Like, that's a scary thing, right? Can you imagine if we showed up this morning with no clothes? That would be a problem. Luke says that it was for a long time. He had been naked for a long time. He had not lived in a house for a long time. His problems had existed longer than a moment. The disciples, they went through a storm that's kind of bad, but as soon as they said, hey, Jesus, Jesus woke up and fixed it. For a few moments, they had a problem. This guy, we don't know how long, but he had been struggling for a very long time. 
And I don't know about you, but walking around in the tombs naked does not sound like a fun day. He has issues. More than that, he doesn't live in a house. He lives with the dead people. His only friends are the tombs. Scholars believe that one, re- one of the reasons why he dwelt among the tombs, not only was it because he had been run out of town, but also because in those days when you had a relative who died, you would bring them food for whatever reason. Uh, I mean, this is just kind of how they thought in those days. And so he probably, most likely, was eating the food that had been brought to dead people. His only way of survival was stealing food from dead folks. It's, it's pretty easy to say this morning that he has issues. It's pretty easy to say this morning that he is lonely. Guys, the most lonely place in the world is in the grip of Satan. Satan drives us from the people that we love. Sin drives us from the people that we love. And, and so we see this man who's completely and utterly within the control, within the grasp of the evil one. And so, Jesus shows up on the scene in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. So this man cries out and begs Jesus not to torment him. That's because of Jesus' authority. We'll get to that here in a moment, but then you look at verse 29. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And so his situation, we understand, just continually gets worse. He had basically been put in prison, like they had handcuffed him. They would chained this guy, trying to keep him from hurting himself and hurting the people around him. But every time they did, the demon would would help him break the chains. And then he would be driven out into the desert by this demon. He would end up out in the desert all by himself. And as I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but think that that's a pretty good picture of what happens when we allow Satan control in our lives. Rather than driving, we are driven. Rather than being in control, we are controlled. Rather than choosing, we are chosen for. If, if you ask someone who's ever been addicted to something, they'll tell you that this is true. That the addiction controls them in many ways. That if you don't do this, if you don't do that, it somehow convinces you that you're not happy. Guys, it doesn't matter if it's a chemical addiction, an emotional addiction, whatever. So some, you think about this. Some people are just as addicted to anger as the alcoholic is to alcohol. Some folks are just as addicted to, to meth uh, uh, to lying is the person who's addicted to meth is to meth. So, some people, uh, whatever it is that's grabbing onto their heart ends up driving them where uh, it wants them to go. Because the problem is that, that we don't realize that, that sin is actually a prison. We think of it as freedom. You think about it. This man knew for sure that he wasn't in control. This man knew that he was chained. This man knew that he was bound. But when we look at sin, when we look at what Satan offers, we don't see it as a prison. We sort of see it as freedom. We see it as an escape, as a chance to do what we want to do, as a way for us to control our situation, to control our life. So instead of forgiving someone for what they've done to us, what do we do? Well, we, we indulge in anger. We indulge in holding that grudge and not allowing ourselves to forgive them. 
that anger begins to fester in our heart, then the next time we see them, we're not free to forgive them. We're not free to love them. That anger drives us to say things we ought not say. That anger drives us to do things we ought not do. So rather than being free, we are enslaved. Instead of owning up to our sinfulness, instead of owning up to the things that we have done, we, we try to take control of the consequences by lying but trying to hide what we've done through our lies and what ends up driving us after we begin a life full of lies. The lies. The lies actually are in control. We, we try to buy security and happiness through money and things like that, and so then we end up working simply to feed our habit of making ourselves happy and protecting ourselves from feeling insecure. So what ends up controlling us? Our stuff, our money, our job. We couldn't take off if we wanted to because we've got to work to keep up Appearances, we've got to work to keep our stuff. We don't want to deal with the things that cause pain, and so we self-medicate. And then the drugs and the things like that end up taking control. And instead of being the one driving, we're the ones driven, usually away from everybody who loves us, away from everything good and, and helpful. When we try to take control by indulging in sin, we end up not being the boss. We actually end up enslaved. I wonder if that's you this morning. I wonder if you're in the trap of sin. Jesus has come to transform you. Listen, listen to what verse 30 says. Jesus asked, then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And so Jesus says, what's your name? And the demons respond with legion, for many demons had entered him. Now legion was uh, what the Romans would refer to as to an army of 6,000 men. We don't know if there were 6,000, literally 6,000 uh, demons within this man. Luke just says there's many demons. It could have been 6,000. But the point here is that this man has more issues than you can shake a stick at. Like, he is struggling. He cannot fix himself. He's in a situation where he cannot help himself. In fact, no one else can help himself. He's headed down a road to destruction, and no one can do anything about it, including himself. He's out of control and out of options. Then Jesus comes across the lake and gets out of the boat, right where he is. 31 says that they begged him. The demons begged Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is more powerful than the demons. He's greater than the storm. He's greater than the demons. These demons say, hey, we want to go into that herd of pigs over there. So it says that Jesus gave them permission. I, I, as I was thinking about that, it's interesting. Jesus looks at this, this legion of demons and he says, I give you permission couldn't help but think about getting a permission slip from my mama growing up, right, to go on a field trip or whatever. Like, can I go do this? She had to write a permission slip saying it was okay for me to go and that the school wasn't held liable if I burned down the museum or whatever. But, but, the, the, but Jesus looks at these demons and he says, I give you permission. Why? Because he's the one who's actually in control. He is the boss. Guys, we've got to remember this morning that Jesus ultimately is the one we can turn to. Other people may try to help us. We may try to help ourselves. But at the end of the day, He's the only one who can truly set us free. He's the only one who can truly transform us. And so He says, okay, you can go. And so He goes. All right, so the demons go into the pigs. And what happens to the pigs? 
exactly what the demon had been trying to do to this man. They run off the side of the hill into the, to the sea and they die. They're drowned. Don't be fooled this morning. Satan wants you dead and destroyed. The end result of sin is death. If you continue to allow Satan to run your life, you won't have a life left. He will destroy you. That is his end game goal. His goal is to see you destroyed. And so if you allow him to decide what you do and what you don't do, you're going to end up like these pigs, destroyed with no life left. Jesus comes to set us free. Look at verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So like, whoa, we've got to go tell some folk about this. Verse 35, then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So this man, who had no clothes, who was not in control of his life, who was out of his mind wild and, and in danger to other people, who was naked the last time everybody saw him, they come up and he, here he is, he's sitting very quietly, crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus, with clothes on. Like, what's going on? Last time I saw this guy, he was naked. And now he's sitting still in front of Jesus? Last time I saw him, he was running around cutting himself and cutting other people. And now he's just sitting there listening to this teacher. What is going on? It says that he's in his right mind. He's back in control. He's back able to make choices. Jesus gave to him what the demons had stolen. His dignity. His ability to listen. His ability to focus. His ability to make good decisions. And so, this morning, you really have two choices. Look at, look at verse 36. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So they, he told them, they told them, hey, listen, Jesus came up and he talked to this guy, and next thing we know, pigs are running off and dying. Uh, you know, no barbecue this week. Sorry, boys. Uh, verse 37. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. See, when we read Mark's gospel, it's even more clear that one of the big motivating factors of their fear is the fact that these pigs end up dead. They end up losing a lot of income as a result of Jesus healing this man. Imagine their thought process. If Jesus keeps going on, you know, I got a, I got a pretty good size of chickens over there. Like, I, I don't know. What if, he, what if he makes my chickens die? I mean, what's, what's the next step here? They don't care about the demon-possessed man so much as they care about what Jesus may cost them. And that's really the truth, isn't it? You see, everyone's cool with Jesus. Everyone loves Jesus and until he starts costing us. Until he, until he starts affecting our bottom line. Like, we're down to go to heaven, but don't ask me to sacrifice my time, talent, or money. Now, now, why don't you just get back in your boat and head on back to wherever you came from? I wonder if that's your response to him this morning. I wonder if you're so afraid of what he may ask you to do, you try to keep your distance from him. You, you want to stay close enough where you feel like you're a believer and that, like you're following him and serving him, but you don't want to get so close that you end up losing something. I mean, what if he asked me to do something I don't want to do? What if he asked me to give up something I don't want to give up? 
What if in order to serve this person over here, I'm actually going to have to get my hands dirty? No, Jesus, you're cool and all, but I think I'm going to keep my distance. God, God really convicted me this week as I was studying this passage. I, I was reading an article that, that was a really good article about you know, why we, we see such a, a trend of declining church attendance and things like that, and we could get into all that, but that, that really wasn't what stuck out to me. What stuck out to me was that he, he said, you know, one of, the, one of the big reasons why people don't attend church is because they don't see any benefit in it for them. And I was like, you know, you're right, because I've said that before too, and, and the more I thought about it, remember, this passage is going through my head, it really bothered me because basically what we're saying is we should uh, invite people to come because of what's in it for them. And he's talking about committed church folks. He's talking about committed believers. They don't feel like there's any reason for them to come to church regularly. And what kept floating through my brain is, is if the only reason why we ever show up to church is if it's something for us, then what are we doing? Why are we claiming to follow the one who says, if you're going to follow me, take up, my cro- take up your cross and die to yourself daily? Like, how can we say we're serving the one who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many? Guys, and, and I want to walk carefully here because I, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I wonder how often we've forgotten that we're just like these folks asking Jesus to, to leave or to keep our distance from him because we're afraid it may cost us something. You see, we, we should be folks who are following Jesus who say, hey, it doesn't matter if there's anything in it for me or not. I'm there to help others. I'm there to serve others. We say things like that, but do we really mean it? If there's not something in it for me, I, I don't really think there's any reason for me to go. Are, are you good with, with church just because there's something in it for you? How are you different than these folks here? Or are you someone who wants to be trained so that you can train others? so that you can serve others. Guys, our goal as a church isn't to be a place where there's a whole bunch of folks. Our goal as a church is to be a place where people can come in no matter who they are and learn who God is and learn who Christ is and what He has done for us and that they can be changed so that they can then go and share that message with others and see other people changed. The goal isn't just to show up when there's stuff for us. I wonder this morning if you've taken the first option. Jesus, I'm good with you as long as it doesn't cost me anything to serve someone else. I'm good with you as long as it... Like, like I'll pray for those folks over there to be saved, but don't ask me to go actually share the gospel. Don't ask me to give anything. Then there's a a second option. Look at verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with with him. Jesus has so transformed his life, he doesn't want him to leave as he sees him getting back in his boat. But Jesus, and, and I'm sure he doesn't really want to go back to the folks who care more about barbecue ribs than his soul, but, but, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And so what this man does is he takes the option that we should take this morning, which is total surrender. He doesn't want Jesus to leave. He wants to be around Jesus. He doesn't want to stay where he is. He wants to go wherever Jesus is. And so Jesus looks at this man and he says, I know you want to come with me, but you would do better good if you went home and told everybody what I have done for you. If you go and tell, God, tell them what God has done for you. And so he goes and he tells them what Jesus has done for him. Most likely the, most, uh, the first Gentile missionary 
with the good news of the gospel. Can you imagine him going back into town and seeing his family who maybe haven't seen him in a long time? And at first they begin to run in the other direction. Oh no, here comes dad. Oh no, here comes that man who I used to live with. I can't imagine what he's going to do this time. And then they get to watch him. And he's no longer that man. Now he's a man in his right mind. He's been transformed by the gospel. And he gets to go around and share this with the people he meets. Guys, sometimes we, we think that sharing the gospel is this huge theological problem for us to do. It's not. Simply go and tell people how God has transformed your life through the power of Jesus Christ. It's really that simple. I used to be angry, and now I'm full of love. I used to be uh, hopelessly addicted, and now I'm set free. Like, that's what it means to share your faith. That's what it means to share the gospel. One of the, one of the most powerful illustrations from history I've ever read is about this man named Augustine. St. Augustine of Hippo, he, Bishop of Hippo. He was a man who was extremely sinful. Like, his, his thing was the ladies. He really liked women, and so he had a bunch of women and, and things like that. And I mean, he was just hopelessly immoral. And he became a believer. And one day he was walking down the street in the town he hadn't been in in a while and a woman who had not seen him since his conversion comes up and she's walking down the street behind him and she keeps saying, Augustine, it is I. Augustine, it is I. Don't you remember all the fun we used to have, Augustine? And he turns around and he says, yes, but it is not I. And his point was, I've been changed by the gospel. I'm no longer the man you used to know. Of course, added to that is the fact that his mother would pray for him, that he would become a believer. I wonder this morning if you have anyone you're praying that God would transform. Guys, are you trapped this morning? Are, are you stuck? I, as I was studying through this this week and uh, just thinking about what, what God uh, is doing, how God wants to set us free, I couldn't help but think about uh, my son and I's favorite uh, pastime when we're at the house, we actually got in trouble for it Friday. Um, we, we wrestle a lot. Like, Crystal and Zoe can't watch a show that we aren't totally in, interested in because when we get bored, we wrestle. And it's extremely loud. And it's a lot of fun. Usually someone ends up crying, and it's not me. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But, but anyway, so, so Josiah, he, what he'll do is he'll just mess with me. He'll needle me, or I'll needle him until we get going. And, and then, like, we'll go for a little bit. And then I break out the, the move that always puts him down. He can't stand it. Like, I'll grab him, and I'll just hold him. I'll bear hug him, and, and there's nothing he can do. Like, he can't move at all. Like, he is trapped. And he starts screaming and crying, and his mom is over there like, let him go. Josiah, don't you know that you're not supposed to do that? Don't you know that's what he's going to do? Why do you just keep poking the bear and that sort of thing? And, like, he just can't help himself. And so I'll let him go, and he's crying. He's mad. Ten seconds later, not even ten seconds, he's right back at me. Then I put him in the hold again, and I get him trapped again, and he's mad, and he's upset, and he's frustrated one more time. And it's so much fun. I know you don't believe me. That sounds terrible. But it is. It's amazing. We have a wonderful time with it. But, but I think that that's fun when you're wrestling with your son. It's not so much fun when you're wrestling with sin. We'll, we'll get a little bit of distance from that thing we used to do that used to have us enslaved, that used to drive us and control us. And we'll say, man, that was fun. Remember back in the day when we used to do that? That was a lot of fun. I think I'm going to go back and do that some more. And we do. The next thing you know, we're trapped. 
One more time, we're wrapped back up in the bear hug of sin. And we have to scream and we have to cry for Jesus to come and set us free again. I wonder this morning if maybe, even if you're a Jesus follower, someone who's believed on him, if you're trapped because you got tricked into thinking that stuff was fun. Like, you know what, I'm just going to be selfish with my time for a little bit. I'm just going to tell one lie. That's not going to hurt anybody. But man, she's so pretty. Or man, that was so much fun when I used to do that. Are you trapped this morning? Cry out and Jesus will set you free. He's way more powerful than whatever has a hold of you. Just like my wife has the power to set my son free. (laughs) Stop it, John. But Jesus has the power to call out and rebuke those demons and say, get out, leave. But it's up to you. Because you, you, he, he will change you. He will transform you. But you have to ask Him. You have to depend on Him. When you start trying to do it on your own, you're going to fail. No one else can change you. That person you're praying for, that no matter what, it seems like they're stuck, no one can change them but Jesus. But He can change them. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. You see, Jesus, He went to the cross to set you free. He went to the cross to, to provide for you the same power to be set free that he, he showed on the sea that, that was storming and that was about to kill his disciples. He tells it to be quiet and stop it. It's the same power that he uses to set this man free and it's the same power he can use to set you free. Because Jesus, where you mess up, where you keep getting stuck, he never did. He never once sinned. He never once gave in to the temptation that you give in to. And at the end of his life, this perfect life that he lived... He went and he was hung on a tree. And as he hung on that tree, God was putting the punishment, the payment for your sin on him so that you can be set free, so that you can be transformed, so that you can have a new life, so that you don't have to walk in whatever it is you're walking in this morning. Guys, there's no reason for you to walk out of here this morning not being free. Because Jesus really did pay for your penalty. He really did pay for your sins. And he calls you this morning. He says, come to me and I will set you free. Come to me and I'll forgive you and I'll give you eternal life. If you would, bow with me for a moment. And as you bow, I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, we're going to have a a time of prayer like we, we had last Sunday during this time of prayer. This is a time where you do business with the Lord. You come and you pray at the altar. If there's something in your life you need to pray through, you come and you pray through that. Guys, if there's someone in your life you need to pray for, you pray for them. Come and pray for us as a church family. Pray that we'll be the place where people can come and be transformed and be made new. And so let me pray for you. And after I pray, you, you come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you give us moments like these, Lord, where we get to hear from your word, where we get a chance to respond to you. And I pray that that's exactly what happens today. God, I pray that we are transformed by being in your presence. God, that we are transformed by the power of the gospel. Lord, I pray that as we've gathered in this place, God, that we wouldn't walk out of here not taking hold of the power that you've offered to us, not taking hold of the the freedom you've given us, but God, that we would take hold, Lord, and that we would be set free. God, give us the strength we need to make it through uh, this week, make it through tomorrow. God, show us those places where Satan has tricked us and has trapped us and, and made us unable to move forward. And God, would you give us the strength and the grace we need to ask for forgiveness in those places and truly be set free. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? And as you stand, we're going to sing. 
And as we sing this morning, would you come and pray uh, here at at the front? I hear the Savior say, I strength indeed is strong. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I truly paid it all this morning. Let's praise him for that. 
um, as we leave this morning, let's uh, continue praising the Lord. If there's anything God is doing in your life and in your heart, and you need to pray through it, talk through it, come see me, call me, whatever you need to do. I want to talk with you through that.